to the final week of warning signs. Have you enjoyed this series? Amen. It has been life-changing for people. I've gotten testimonies over and over again, and I say the first, uh, the final week because we're not going to end it this morning. We're also we're actually going to end it tonight. Uh, I want to just give you a disclaimer about tonight. If you have unsaved loved ones and you can get them, maybe a lasso, taser, uh, if you can get them to church tonight, it would be beneficial. Uh, it, obviously, you can't make them come, but uh, tonight's message is going to be one that you don't hear uh, very often in this generation spoken about, so we're going to be uh, dealing with some truths that people uh, overlook. I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I am uh, blessed to be here. Uh, we, we had a great Thanksgiving, but it was isolated because the stomach virus decided to make a visit and went through our whole house. And uh, But at the same time, we were isolated with people that we love. And we're blessed this morning. Some of you don't know our son, and you don't know his story, and you don't know his family, but we have little Veda, we have Rachel, and we have Jared with us in church this morning. I may very well do a series in the new year on the book of Romans, and Romans eleven twenty nine is one of my favorite verses because I've had to relive it and requote it to myself over and over again. And it, what it says is this, for the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. And without repentance simply means God won't change his mind about what he gives you and what he's called you to do. And it doesn't matter if you've been obedient or not because his calling is still there. His giftings are still there. Because God sees the end of a thing when only we can see the beginning and the middle of a thing. And I'm grateful this morning to have a son that's still with us and he's able to be in church with me today. And I praise God and give God glory. So I'm going to get into part 13 of Warning Signs. We're going to finish tonight with this series, uh, part 14. Uh, it's going to be uh, in-depth. Uh, we're, we're, we're continuing and concluding the life of David. This morning's message is titled, There's More Than One Giant. There's more than one giant. I'm going to go ahead and give you a disclaimer if you're one of these people that like to follow along, if you're one of these people that like to make notes. I'm going to use a lot of big names this morning. I actually went back several years ago when I found these names and traced the lineage of these giants. I went back and learned the proper pronunciation of them because it's not something that we discuss. So I'm going to be giving you uh, in our English language. So I'm going to be giving you a lot of big names this morning, but it's, uh, I want you to pay attention and not get lost in them because it's very important. Uh, we're going to do a lot of name study this morning. What names mean in this story because we're wrapping up David's story. As a matter of fact, if we could take a look at this timeline, uh, we have followed David from the time he was born. He was anointed by Samuel. And here in, in, in early in his teenage life, he defeats a giant named Goliath, correct? And we've talked about that. We've talked about how that launched David's ministry. It, it launched David's heroism and, and, and his reputation as a 
giant slayer. And we've seen all of these events take place through David's life. The rise and the falls of David. We saw how everything changed at Ziklag for David. When his family was taken hostage and his homes was burned to the ground. And his own men turned on him and wanted to kill him. And ever since then, David has made a series of missteps. There's been civil wars. He, he had an adulterous affair that ended in a baby that was born and eventually died. His son has rebelled against him, Absalom, and Absalom has been killed. And last week we talked about Absalom's rebellion. And this week we're going to talk about the end of the giants. There's more than one giant. He killed Goliath. Goliath's been dead for 30 years. And now all these years later, we're going to encounter more than one giant. So bear with me as we walk through the end stages of David's story. 2 Samuel chapter 21, beginning with verse 15. Once again the Philistines were at war with Israel. And when David and his men were in the thick of battle, David became weak and exhausted. Stop right there. Can I just tell you that sometimes you need to slow down making decisions? Because when you're in battle, it is easy to get weak and exhausted. And sometimes you're just not equipped to make life-changing choices. Not because you've lost your intelligence, but because you've lost your energy. You have not been defeated, but you're not strong enough to go on. Sometimes you just need to slow down. Let the decision come a little later, because right now you are weak and exhausted. Look what happened to David when he was weak and exhausted. Verse 16. Ishbi Benob was a descendant of the giants. His bronze spearhead weighed more than seven pounds, and he was armed with a new sword. He had cornered David and was about to kill him. Now, I want you to know a fact. I, I, I've researched David a good bit through the years, but a lot in this series. The Bible never records a moment where David was so much wounded in battle. He had never lost a fight that we know of, and he is never recorded as being uh, in danger or wounded. Here it says he was about to be killed, and by who? By a descendant of the giants. Now, all the way back in Genesis, in Noah's day, there was a race of giants called Nephilim. And Nephilim was one of the main reasons that God decided to send the flood. I talked about this a little bit back when we discussed Goliath and the spirits of this age and how uh, God sent the flood partially because man, uh, the, mankind was going in the wrong direction. And, and giants were being produced because fallen angels were taken upon themselves to have babies through human women. And there was this race of giants that had been born. But the last of the giants was alive in David's time. Let me just give you a precursor to what I'm going to be preaching about this morning. It seems like David, who by the way was called a man after God's own heart, right? We've already discovered that God don't appreciate giants. Nothing personal against the giants other than it wasn't God's design for mankind. So God calls David a man after my own heart. And it seems like David was called to the ministry of giant slaying. I wonder if that's why he was 
a man after God's own heart. Not only was he a worshiper, not, not only was he the apple of God's eye, I wonder if he was a man after God's own heart because he didn't like giants either. He didn't appreciate them either. And he started with Goliath when he was a teenager, and now 30 years later, there's still some of Goliath's family members left, and David is going to be responsible for getting rid of what's left of them. I want you to pay attention because while David is about to be killed, here in this, this battle, David is about to be killed, but David is the one directly responsible for getting rid of all the giants. But let me begin by saying this this morning. There are some giants standing in your way. You don't know it. You, you don't understand it. But I'm going to be dealing with four giants this morning that are standing in your way. And some of the giants in your life are new. You've invited them in in the recent past. You've, you've went out on dates with them. You've become partners with them in business. You, you, you have, uh, you have uh, given birth to them. You got married to them. <laughs> Every one of you have some giants that are new. Then all of you have giants that have been with you since you were young. Many of you, if you haven't dealt with them yet, all of you have giants that are in your life that was passed to you from generations before you. But there are giants standing in your way. And all of them are standing in your way with the same purpose, to prevent you from reaching your destiny. There is but one goal of a giant, and it is to block you from reaching what God has for you. And if you plan to enter into the spiritual realm that God has promised you, you better be prepared for confrontation. Let me, let me give it to you this way. There are some principles of the kingdom that are as real as the laws of nature. Let's talk about the laws of nature. What goes up? Why is that? Because there's a law called gravity, right? And that's a law of nature. But there are also laws in the spirit realm that governs the spirit just like the natural realm has laws that govern it. And one of those laws, I'm going to give it to you right now, is there is no progress without resistance. At the beginning of the school year, or at the beginning of the new year, there's going to be all kinds of people going out to gyms and joining gyms. And one of the things they're going to start doing is weight training because they know that you don't, you don't gain muscle without resistance. The only way, you don't sit on the couch and gain muscle. I mean, you gain one big one and some smaller ones. But if you're going to gain muscle, if you're going to improve muscle, it takes resistance. You have to work it against something because pushing and pulling is how you grow muscles. And it's the same way in the spirit realm. There is no progress without resistance. And the Bible speaks of, of Israel back when they were in Egyptian bondage. You know what it says? It says the more Egypt afflicted them, the more they grew. So the way you grow is not through blessing. The way you grow is through affliction. And if the devil was smart, I'm going to try not to get too preachy here. I'm going to try to save that for tonight. But if the devil was smart, he would quit afflicting you. Because those of you that have decided that you won't quit through affliction, he don't know it, but he is making a better version of you. So if he was smart, he would quit messing with you because he's hoping you'll quit. But those of you that won't quit show up on the other side saying, I didn't have this gift set before you messed with me. You brought this out. 
and you think God's bringing it out of you. It's the devil bringing out the best in you. Because through affliction, through hardship, that's where you gain victory. That's where you get your growth. If he would have never messed with You'd still be sitting back there somewhere. Had he never bothered you, you wouldn't be praying for your baby the way you are. Had he not tried to split your marriage up, you wouldn't be as close as you are with him right now. Had he not put that sickness on you, you wouldn't have healing hands to go around and cast that mess out of somebody else. If he would have been smart, he would have never tied Jesus to a whipping post is what, what Paul said. And had he been even smarter, he would have never messed with you. You, full of the power of the Holy Spirit, he would have never messed with you. Because instead of killing you, it caused you to grow. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 8. Let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all you do, or all of you, because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs to prayer to God whom I serve with all my heart, spreading the good news about his son. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. And why does Paul want to come see him? For I long to visit you so that I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. Paul said, I've got something in me that I can't give to you through Facebook Messenger. I can't DM it to you. I can't email it to you. He said, but I've got something in me that I desire to give to you. The King James Version uses this word, impart. And impart simply means this, to make a deposit. Okay? Romans may be the greatest of Paul's epistles. I may do a very long, in-depth study of the book of Romans next year. Romans is practical application. Everybody runs to Revelation, but you need to read Romans. Because Romans is telling you how to live out faith in real time. How many of you know we need practical application? Yes, I love conventions and I love seminars and I, know I love to go to conferences, but seldom have any of those things given me the tools I need to live on Tuesday. They may give me a big scheme, a big idea. Uh, they may give me a seven-point plan, but what I need is how to get over the enemy that's in my life right now today and overcome the devil, that I, the giant that I'm facing right now. They've never prepared me for the giants that I was facing. We have more access to the Word today than we ever have before. Make no mistake about it. You have greater access to the Word of God now, and yet there's a bigger falling away now than there's ever been. And Paul says in, in Romans that he wants to bring them this spiritual gift. He wants to impart to them, which means to make a deposit. That means to put something you have into somebody else. Let me give it to you like this so you can understand it. Everyone in this room has had impartations. Every person in this room has had something imparted to you. Some were good. Your parents, your, whoever it was that raised you, whoever it was that discipled you in the ways of life, they gave you good impartations, and they were effective. But we've also received some things that have caused us... We got some bad habits that we didn't think up ourselves. 
Some of us do some things that we did not imagine in our mind, but it was demonstrated. Is it going to get quiet in here already? Listen, everybody in your life affects you somehow. And an alcoholic father will make a deposit. He will, he will impart to his children. If you encounter someone at the age of seven that abuses you physically, emotionally, sexually, and they abuse you, that imparts something to you. It leaves behind trauma. It messes with a young, impressionable mind, and you carry that throughout your life because sometimes you're making impressions whether you mean to or not. Uh, and, and you become like the people you're around. I tell you this all the time, but some of you don't take it seriously. I know that because I see your Facebook you become who you're around, who you hang out with, who you socialize with, who you fellowship with, who you yoke up with, influences you, impacts you. As a matter of fact, once you just tell your neighbor, then you're in the right place right now. Would you just do that? Let them know that you're the real deal. Let them know you're the real deal. You're in the right place because I'm the real deal. I, I'm, I'm not going to do nothing but good for you, okay? So, so you're going to become like the people that you allow to speak into your life. That's why you have to be very careful about who shapes your destiny, who has your ear, who you listen to. You can't let just anybody speak to you. And if they do speak to you, you have to determine whether or not it's beneficial for you to internalize what it was they said. Because they might just be critical of you. They might just be a hater of you. They may say, thus saith the Lord, but the Lord ain't within 50 yards of what it is that they mouthing to you. They may be bringing negative insults toward you. They may be bringing negative criticisms toward you. And listen, sometimes we found out last week with Amnon, it's not necessarily sinful what somebody gives you as advice. Sometimes it's just immaturity. You don't need your spiritual mentor to be the person who got saved a week before you did. You need some folks that's been through some stuff. Come on now. Get. I've been doing this. I've been preaching this gospel for over 25 years, and I still, I still want the blue-haired grandmas, the ones to be praying and prophesying over my life. I wish I had a witness in this church. I mean, I consider myself close to the Lord, but I want some people that have prayed through some demonic situations. I want some folks that have faced the devil and came out on the other side. I want some folks that have looked down devils in the eye, looked down giants in the eye, and said, I won't back down, I won't back up, and I won't give in. I want some people that have seen some stuff came back around the other side and said I know the way out come on I'll show you I love all you young folks but some of y'all ain't been through nothing yet you be giving me marriage advice and you ain't you ain't moved out of your mama's basement yet everybody knows how to raise kids till they have one I've had a baby in my house for the last three days you know what I remembered Babies is a young folks game. I heard crying at 3 a.m. and I said, what's that? It's been a minute since I heard crying at 3 a.m. Young folks are supposed to raise babies, not us older people. <laughs> but we have been there, came back to the other side. Somebody say amen. 
Now, I want, I'm going to give you some history of David, okay, because we're wrapping this whole thing up. First Chronicles also tells the story of David. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 17, King David is having a conference. Do you remember Nathan from a few weeks ago? Nathan is the one who confronted David after Bathsheba and said, you the man. Nathan is the prophet sent by God to give advice to David. And in 1 Chronicles 17 verse 2, David is having a conference with Nathan because he don't know what to do. And Nathan says to David, Do all that is in thine heart, for God is with you. That's an important statement that was spoken over David's life because the evidence of this prophecy is lived out in the next several chapters. Let me show it to you. In chapter 18, David goes to war with the Philistines and he whoops them. He defeats the Moabites and then he defeats a nation called Zobah. And when the Syrians came up from the, from the east to help Zobah fight against David, David killed 22,000 of the Syrians. And the Bible says David won every battle. Why? Because the Lord preserved him everywhere he went. What Nathan told David was come and pass. Do whatever's in your heart because God's with you. When you get a word from God, you don't need the acceptance of folks. When you've got a calling of God, you don't need people to affirm you. Because God set you up and God will see you through. I wish I had a witness in this church. So then you move to chapter 19. Chapter 19, there's a new king in Amnon who gets too big for his britches. And he embarrassed David's men because he shaved their heads and cut their beards and cut their clothes. And because he thought Syria was going to come and help him fight against David. In other words, one devil got cocky because he thought he had another devil to back him up. But what happens is by the end of chapter 19, 47,000 Syrians had died at the sword of David and his men, and that devil decided he was never going to help another devil jump on a man of God again. And so David is winning victory after victory, and a whole year passes, and we get to 1 Chronicles chapter 20, and we're told there that there arose a war with the Philistines. Philistines have been a thorn in Israel's side all the way back before Saul. And the interesting thing about this fight in chapter 20 is that in each battle that is recorded, there is a giant on the Philistine side. And there is a giant that gets killed. So that's what we're going to talk about because the chapter closes with this statement. And they fell by the hands of David and by the hands of his servants. The giants came and the giants fell. But wait a minute. This is not the first Philistine that I've heard about who was a giant. If you remember the timeline, before David killed Goliath... Nobody would fight giants. As a matter of fact, for 40 days, Goliath tried to challenge any man in the kingdom to come out and fight. And David killed Goliath because nobody else would. Remember I told you that David was called to the ministry of killing giants? How Paul said he wanted to come and impart something. He wanted to give a spiritual gift. What David gave to his men was... A message that Hale wished he would have never received. And that was, giants will fall. Nobody believed that giants could be defeated until David showed them. 
And now that David has demonstrated that giants fall, other people believe it too. Now, I'm going to told you I'm going to give you a bunch of names this morning. David means beloved. David means beloved. Do you know what you, you are called by God after you get saved? My beloved. So, so this, is a, this is an illustration of who you are once you get on the side of the Lord. You are his beloved. Goliath, the first giant that David fought, his name means exile. Do you know what exile means? It means to send out. It means to disperse. It means to cast away. And this is a demonic spirit that's still on earth today, exile. We preach about Jezebel all the time, but I'm going to tell you that exile is more common than Jezebel. Because here's what exile does. Exile stands in front of you as a child of God and says, I'm going to put you back into the captivity that God says he got you out of. You give your heart to the Lord, you come to church, you start serving Him, and you may have found religion, you may have gotten saved, but exile stands in front of you and says, nothing's changed in your life. You're still the same addict you used to be. You're still the same lust-filled person you used to be. You're still the same example of a person that's messed up, jacked up from the floor. You don't have anything special about you. This is what exile does. Exile stands in front of you, and says, you haven't changed one bit. And can I tell you that some believers never conquer this giant. They love Jesus, but they stay carnal. They stay trapped. They stay bound. Because this giant stands in their way. When they first get into the kingdom of God, they have gotten saved. But this giant says, you're still who you've always been. And they never reach the fullness that God's called them to. They never reach the callings that God has called them to because they stay in the flesh trying to love God in the Spirit. But can I tell you that absolute certainty, David killed exile. That means you can press through. That means you can get through this giant. That means giants do fall. You don't have to stay who you've always been because when God calls you out of darkness into His wonderful light, He doesn't intend to leave you the way He found you. He loved you the way He found you, but He loves you too much to let you stay that way. He calls you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Now let me give you a point of reference. Just because one enemy is defeated does not mean you're done with the fight. Uh, uh, There's more than one giant. So, so, so Goliath was, in most estimations, nine and a half to ten feet tall. Goliath had a spear that the Bible says is as big as a weaver's beam. Basically what that means is it's about two and a half inches in diameter, and it was about 12 feet tall. Now the average Israelite was about five foot six. That means Goliath's spear was twice as tall as the average Israelite. And the spear was Goliath's most dangerous weapon. Can you imagine facing a man who's 10 feet tall and he's got a 12-foot rod with a seven and a half pound spearhead on the end of it and he's ready to throw it at you, throw it through you? These spears weren't cheap. Can you imagine? They weren't easy to make. Where do you find a 12-foot tree to make weaver's beams out or to make a, a spear beams out of? So warriors began using a method that we call today harpooning. They would tie a rope around their spear. So in battle, if they threw it at their enemy and they missed, they could pull it back. But that wasn't all. Also, if they stuck their enemy, 
they could pull the spear and their enemy closer to them because they can inflict more damage up close than they can at... Stay with me, I'm going somewhere. Sometimes the enemy misses his target. And this allows the enemy a chance to reel it back in and try again and try again. In other words, you might dodge it once. Oh, you said no last Friday night. I, I know you didn't invite them in last. I know you didn't steal the money this time. I know you didn't get drunk and drive home this time. But you, 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 you got, there's more than one giant. The attacks are going to continually come. And if the spear hits someone and he brings it back to him, they are now wounded. And I'm becoming more and more convinced that wounds are the greatest weapon that the devil uses today. Let, 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 me, let me clarify what I mean by that. There are more people out of church. There are more people divorced. And there are more families fractured by wounds than anything I see today. It's not, it's not always the big, important things that cause people to quit. It's tough to find somebody these days that's never been to church. Have you realized that? When you're out witnessing, you're inviting people to church, almost everybody at some point has been to church. And they'll say stuff like, oh no, I went to church. I tried church. Have you ever wondered if they used to go? Where are they now? Now, now granted, some people just backslide. Can I give you a little hint this morning since it's just us talking? It's Sunday morning. No backsliders are here. Some folks just backslide because they don't want to live a holiness lifestyle. Because it's easier for some folks to serve the devil than it is to serve God. But, there's a lot of people not in church today because they got wounded by the enemy. They blamed God or you. And they left church wounded. You know what Matthew chapter 12 says in verse 43? When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into a desert seeking rest but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. Stop right there. You can get a devil cast out of you, and that same devil will go out looking for rest, and when it don't find none, it'll come back and say, well, this was a good house the first time. I liked living here the first time, except so it returns and finds its former house empty, swept, and in order, the key word there is empty. You can get in church, you can get religion, you can say yes to Jesus, but if you don't fill that void with something, please expect the enemy to come back. But listen, it gets worse. Verse 45 says, And the Spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and then they all enter the person and live there. They're not coming to visit or redecorate. This is not the Joanna Gaines story of devils. They are coming to take up habitation. And so that person is worse off than before. It will be the experience of this generation. That's why some folks are out of church. 
Because they came to church, they got one devil driven out, but they didn't feel that void with anything else. And when that devil comes back, they don't come back by themselves. They bring seven of their homeboys and road dogs with them, and they are worse than the one that you kicked out the first time. And if you think it was hard getting rid of one devil, you ought to try getting rid of eight of them. You ought to try getting rid of 21 of them. You ought to try getting rid of 36 of them. Because every time that you do that and you get delivered, if you don't feel a void, the spirit realm will not tolerate a vacuum. So when you empty out, you got to feel with something. And if you don't fill your life with the joy of your salvation, when that devil comes back, and you think they're just coming back in spirit form, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, you're not happy? You're lonely? Check him out. Look at her smile. Seven of them. Your DMs will be full. All you got to do is post one. Some of you girls, all y'all got to do is post one picture. And y'all have to block half of the Ohio Valley. And you think it's because you're cute. And you might be cute and all. Fellas, you might be fine. But understand, you drove out a devil that's looking for a place to live. And they bring it back eight that are more powerful. And if you think it was, re- it was hard to get rid of Tony, wait till you get rid of Tony and Thomas and Timothy and Billy and Bob and Bailey. I mean, when they all come. You're not going to help me. Ishbi Benob almost killed David. And it said he had a new sword that he almost killed David with. Here's what I want to prove to you by the end of this message. With every victory, the enemy will bring a counterattack. He'll throw a spear, and if he misses, he'll bring it back, and he'll throw it again. Here's how it works. You, get, you come to church, and they have given you a diagnosis that you don't agree with, or you don't like, or you can't accept, and we pray over you, and you get rid of the devil of doubt. Please understand, there's going to be a counterattack. The devil's not just going to lay down because you got some faith this Sunday. What's going to happen is you're going to get another phone call from another institution that's going to say, we found some things we don't like on your last test. And you're going to have a decision to make. Do I get back into the devil that I cast out, or do I let seven of them in that are more powerful than the one that I already got rid of by eviction? Because with every victory, the enemy forms a counterattack. So Ishbibinob was a brother of Goliath. They were in the same family But Goliath is dead because David already defeated Goliath. David is being attacked from the same bloodline, but this giant had a new sword. The Bible lists two weapons that the enemy uses to attack us. There's more than these two, but these are the two I want to talk about focus on this morning. Snares and darts. Snares and darts. Snares are seasonal. Darts are daily. Pastor, that sounds like you're telling us we're never going to be without attack. Bingo. The minute you think that the enemy's not fighting you is when you have given in to the enemy. He's always standing in opposition. There's always a giant in your way. There's more than one giant. I know you defeated Goliath, but this is his brother, and he has a new sword. Some snares are set up for you throughout your life, usually during a time of temptation or trial or weakness. Think about Jesus in Luke chapter 4, uh, verse 13. The devil had finished tempting Jesus. He left him until the next opportunity came. Uh huh. The devil is always looking for a more opportune time. He knows when you're weak. You think Santa Claus sees you when you're sleeping. 
The devil knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. You're supposed to be saved. (laughs) Darts happen daily. That's why Paul said every day you're supposed to put on the whole armor of God. Every day before you leave the house, you need to be dressed. Quit going out naked. Your problem is not the enemy that you're fighting. The problem is you keep leaving your house undressed. Paul said, I put on my my full armor of God so that I can withstand the fiery darts of the enemy. Darts come every day. Darts are aimed at your... Do you know what the gateway is that the enemy uses to get into your life? Some of y'all are walking around your house putting oily crosses on every doorway. Some of you are walking seven times around your house claiming it for the name of Jehovah. You're going into that teenager's room pouring oil into their mattress and claiming it as holy territory. But you let the devil come in here and don't stop him at all. Y'all not going to help me? Y'all speaking in tongues, walking around, claiming victory over the house? But you've got this wide open. Wrong thinking opens the door for the attacks of the enemy. Some attacks come without you even seeing them or being conscious of them. Huh? So the reason the enemy wants you to fail is because you've got friends and family that are watching you and they are influenced by you. You have imparted. When you got saved, you told everybody. You couldn't shut up. People would say, I liked you better before you got religion. Because you told everybody, you couldn't shut up about Jesus. I want you to come to church. I want you to come to church. You got to hear my preacher. You got to hear a praise team. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And they say, shut up. And whether or not you believe it or they let on, you made an impact on them. And the reason the enemy wants you to fail and the reason he's constantly throwing darts and snares at you is because when you go down, the ones that watched you go up see you when you come down. And you have made an influence on them for the good. Now the devil wants you to make an influence on them for him. And in times of battle, hear me, you're in a battle, you're in a battle, you're in a battle, you're in a battle, and in times of battle, people get wounded. People get wounded. There is no way you're going to escape this world, this life without wounds. And in the military, you don't leave the wounded. That's what we're taught. We're taught that when no brother's left behind. That's what we're taught. I'm just going to use uh, a, a real quick demonstration, just, just, just real fast. Uh, uh, Jessica, you and, 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 and Jalen, and, and I'm sorry, I don't know this young man's name. Y- y'all just come here real quick. Jessica is a, a battle warrior. I don't know if y'all know Jessica. She heads our prayer team. But Jessica is a battle warrior. Stand over here, Jessica. And Jessica, Jessica has been in enough battles. Have you ever been wounded in battle? Has the de- you ever fought any wound? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, absolutely. She says, absolutely. You know what happens when, when, when a soldier gets wounded on the battlefield? We're taught that we're not supposed to leave them behind. So what happens is Jay Lynn has to come. And help her mama because we're not going to let her get, get wounded and, and be dead because we, we got to help them. Well, here's what happened, though. Because she got wounded and didn't find healing, now she just pulled another soldier off the bat. 
Y'all missed it. See, Jaylen was on the battlefield because we're all on our own battlefields. And now that she had to leave the battle and come help her mama, and what happens when two people have to come and help? What happens when now, now we got three people because one person got wounded. Now we've pulled two people off the battlefield. And it's even worse when because she was under fire, they came to help. And now they get wounded. They weren't even in this fight. This wasn't their battle. But because they came to help her in her wound, they got in the line of fire. And now they have got wounded too. And what's going to happen is we're never going to get the battle won because all of you are going to have to keep coming and helping because we can't leave them behind. We can't let them go down alone. We've got to come and help. So, so now we're going to have constantly more and more and more. And every time you come, you get in the enemy's sight. And now you're wounded. And eventually there's not going to be anybody left to come and help. And we're all wounded. Thank you, God. So, so, so the reason I bring that up is because when there was an anointing on David to do something, he imparted that to other people. He said... You don't have to get wounded and stay that way. Listen, he said giants fall. And if you will just believe, when you face a giant, it doesn't have to be the end of you. Because not only does Goliath's name mean exile, it also means this, uncover and reveal. In other words, Goliath was the first giant that fell but he won't be the last. We're going to reveal to you that giants do fall. Now you would think, or I would think, maybe, maybe, maybe you think different than I do. I don't know how you think. But I would think that if I defeated one giant in my whole lifetime, that would be enough. He was almost 10 feet tall. That's what a basketball hoop is. That's a big old rascal. And I would think that if I defeated one giant in the span of my whole life, they should put a statue of me outside of the church. But like Billy Mays always said, but wait, there's more. Because not only did Goliath fall, there are other giants in your way. I'm going to quickly go through the other giants in your way. Israel went to go to war, and the Bible says giants showed up. But David had imparted this truth that giants will fall. And it's in this passage, 1 Chronicles chapter 20, beginning with verse 4. I'm going to give you a bunch of big names, okay? You ready? After this, war broke out with the Philistines at Gezer. As they fought, Sibachai from Hushush killed Saph a descendant of the giants, and so the Philistines were subdued. Another battle with the Philistines, Elhanan was a son of Jair, killed Lami, the brother of Goliath of Gath. The handle of Lami's spear was as thick as a weaver's beam. In another battle with the Philistines at Gath, they encountered a huge man with six fingers on, on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all, who was also a descendant of the giants. But when he defied and taunted Israel, he was killed by Jonathan, the son of David's brother Shimei. And the Philistines were descendants of the giants of Gath, but David and his warriors killed them. So let's talk about the very first one, the one standing at the threshold. The one standing at the threshold. Saph means threshold. Saph is believed to be Goliath's youngest brother. 
He was probably not as mature as the other warriors. He probably was a little baby-faced. He probably looked immature. Can I tell you that sometimes it's not the great big things that break you, it's the small things. Solomon describes it like this, it's the little foxes that spoils your vines. It's the little things that you don't think, well that's not a sin. I can go out and have drinks. Yeah, you can. God's not going to break your arm. Are you God? I mean... Maybe I shouldn't speak on behalf of God. I could drop this microphone, walk out of this place, and I could go get anything I wanted to because God won't stop me. He will not send a legion of angels to rescue me, prevent me from going out and sinning. God will not do that. And there's a lot of things that some of you are always constantly tiptoeing toward the edge of the line saying, well, I can get this close, but why? Why, saint of God, would you want to be that close? What is it about what's on the other side that is so alluring and so attractive to you that you want to be so close to it that you can feel it and you can taste it and you can smell it and you can participate in it but not feel like you've crossed the line? You have to ask yourself, has your heart really been regenerated when you want that more than you want him? Because there is a threshold you have to cross in following God which is a threshold into sanctification. It's where you stop having a lust after the things of the world, and you only hunger and thirst after the ways of righteousness. You want God more than you want those things. That's the threshold. And Saf stands in the way. Saf stands in the threshold and says, you're not getting deeper with God. You're not going to be content with those things. You're not, you can go to church, but you're not going to change any, anything. So, so as you're deciding whether or not, listen, if you have to decide on Sunday morning whether you're going to church, I felt like a failure if my kids ever had to come to me and ask me if we was going to church Sunday. It was already predetermined and known. My kids came to me and said, can I stay somewhere? I said, you know tomorrow's church. Y'all not going to help me? Y'all not going to help me? Can I go do this? With no, my, no, tomorrow's church. And there was a rule in our house, tomorrow's church. And that was just the rule. It just was and is still to this day, even though uh, you know Hannah's uh, almost grown herself. But tomorrow's church means something in my house b- because we wanted to establish that there's a threshold we're not willing to go across. There's a giant... And listen, something as small as going to church has a giant attached to it. There's a giant named Saf that stands in the threshold and asks you, Are you really going to go to church? You know you was out late last night. That's your problem. Maybe in preparation for coming to the house of the Lord, you should have wanted it worse than you. Y'all not going to help me. Have you ever noticed all the obstacles in your way when you get ready to pray? I mean, it's easy to watch six hours of football. But it's hard to pray for six minutes. You ever notice that? We want to, we plan to, but there's a giant in the way. We don't even realize it because he's the smallest giant. You don't even feel like you're under attack. Saf is a small giant. He's a giant, but he's baby-faced. You don't even feel like he's attacked because he's not bringing a sword. He's just standing in the threshold saying, you're not going to get any deeper. And Some of us sing songs about wanting more of God, but we don't mean it with our heart. And mm, It's getting quiet in here. I better move on. And and the Bible says he sends a warrior by the name of Sibachai who, by the way, had received an impartation from David. And Sibachai means one who is like a corpse. Sibachai killed Sath. And the reason Sibachai killed Sath was because 
He wasn't afraid of giants because he already reckoned himself dead. And he said, you can spear me, you can harpoon me, you can use fiery darts, but it don't make any difference because I won't feel a thing because dead people don't feel much. Why do you think Paul the Apostle comes along in the New Testament and tells you that I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. But it's not I, it's Christ that lives within me. In other words, what he was saying was, you can kick me, you can beat me, you can assault me, but I'm already dead, Joker. You're not going to get me to quit because... Dead people don't move much. When you criticize me, I don't have to criticize you back because I'm dead. When you attack me, I don't have to defend myself because I'm dead. When you come against me and tell me that I will not pass, I'm not afraid of you, giant, because I'm already dead. If God brought me back to life, he can do it again and again. Y'all not going to help me. This is why God says no weapon formed against me shall ever prosper. No weapon, really? None? Well, yeah, it won't prosper. It say it wouldn't be formed. It say it wouldn't be used. It says it won't prosper. Why? Because you ever kicked a dead man? They don't move much. I pray the next time you desire a closer walk with your heavenly Father and the giant of Sath stands in your way blocking you that the impartation of Sibachai comes up in you and you are able to defeat him and move on into deeper and deeper and deeper revelations of glory with God. You break, through the, you break through the threshold into a deeper walk with God. You're climbing higher, you're climbing higher, and war breaks out again. I don't know if you realize this. We want everything easy, but you're built for conflict. Resistance brings strength. I already taught you that. So now there's one blocking your provision. Don't raise your hands, but the hardest thing you'll ever do is start giving. Because there's a giant that stands in the way of your provisions. And here's what the giant Lamy, his name means bread, grain, provision. And at first glance you might say, well, that sounds exciting. He's going to give me all that stuff. But what it really translates to is my grain, my bread, my provision. In other words, what you got is mine. And there is a giant that stands in your way every time you try to be faithful to God. That tells you that you being generous is meaning you being broke. And this giant declares what you have is mine. You need a new phone plan. You need a new cable internet service. You need a new car. You need all these things more than you need to be generous. And you may have crossed the threshold. You may have defeated my little brother. But this giant declares, I'm going to leave you broke, busted, and disgusted. And he'll make you doubt that God's promises are true. Why do you think it was David that says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken? Or his seed begging for bread. Because he believed the promises of God. There was another warrior that was sent. Elhanan means God is gracious, he will give. In other words, when there's a giant in your way trying to back you into poverty... God will give you whatever you need. I need somebody to grab a hold of that truth this morning. That God will give you what... He's got every provision you need. You say, Pastor, I don't see a way out. That's just it. You won't see the way out. But God, who is supernatural in all wisdom, has got exceeding abundantly above all that you can imagine or think. If you could think about it, it wouldn't be God. God will overcome you with what He will do. And I... The, the next one is the one that you can't get away from. This is the giant of great stature. He had six toes. He had six fingers on each hand. Six is the number of man. Number of 
flesh. How many times have you as a Christian fought and fought and fought and lost the same battle over and over and over again? Why do you think a man with anger issues has a son that has anger issues? Because we have, we have imparted flesh to those that we influence. People march around the same mountain again and again because the one giant that they have not defeated is themselves. The one you can't get away from. And the Bible says Jonathan was sent to fight this giant. Jonathan's name means Jehovah gives the victory. Now, I don't know if anybody needs victory over flesh this morning, but Jehovah will give you the victory. I'm going to declare over your life right now because those of us that have been there know that it's true. If you want free from the flesh, Jehovah will send you the victory. I don't know how and I don't know when, but there will be a supernatural impartation that will overcome you and you will lose desire and a taste for the flesh. If you want it, that giant will fall. But none of this was possible until a ruddy-faced, red-headed boy walked into a valley and decided this giant has to go down. He said, I'm a giant killer, and I'll show you how to do it. And that's what I'm going to tell you for the rest of this message this morning. Because the next one is the one that you'll need a little help from a friend. Uh-huh. Ishbibinab means to abide, to stay close, connected. That's what his name means. I don't have time to get too deep into it, but the New Testament comes up with this term called familiar spirits. And what it means is there are, there are demonic devices that you know so well. There are spirits that you get so familiar with that you don't even think they're spirits anymore. You call them things like attitudes, personalities, and habits. You call them things like addictions. When they're actually demonic spirits that you have become familiar with. And you know what a familiar spirit's assignment is? To get close to you and stay close to you. And it knows everything about you. It knows your proclivities. It knows your plans. It it gets so comfortable with you that you reveal all your secrets in front of it. It knows how to get your juices flowing. It knows what you secretly have an appetite for that you act like you don't when you come to church. It knows the real you that you are when the lights go off. And Ishbibinob almost killed David. This, this giant had David on the ropes, and a man who had never lost a battle before was about to die, but Abishai came and killed the giant. And Abishai's name means present from my Father. So when the giants have had their turn with you and you have been up against the wall and you might feel like that the end is near and left you almost dead, God will send you a present. He will send you the help and bring this last giant down. There's a present from your Father that will help you overcome the mightiest of your enemies. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to look to the left, to the right. Now look in front of you. Wave at somebody. Smile at them. Make you think you're a Christian or something. 
Look behind you, look in front of you. Let me give you help. Somewhere that you just looked was a present from your father. Somebody that you just gazed upon. Because sometimes you need a little help from a friend. Something, someone that you just looked at is a present from your father. When David got ready to fight Goliath, do you remember the story? He went into the valley, and before he faced Goliath, what did he do? He went to the creek. Yes. And in his shepherd's bag, he put five. I'm glad you said smooth. He didn't just pick up every jagged rock he found. He got five smooth stones. Theologians have debated for years, why did David pick up five if he only needed one? Well, there was four brothers. I just gave them to you. There was Sath, there was Lami, there was Ishpavinov, and there was the giant who had six, hand, uh, six fingers and six toes. I guess David figured if I'm going to go down there and start a fight with one of them, they all might jump me. He's got four other brothers. And he picked up five smooth stones. Now, I'm not a geologist, but I did learn over the course of my studies that rocks can only get smooth by one way. Well, actually two ways. Either wind or water over a long period of time smooths a stone. It doesn't just happen by existing. It has to be passed over by either wind or water. These five stones came out of a brook. So we happen to know the source of their smoothness was water. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the New Testament, there is a theme that runs through the Scriptures that water is a symbol of God's Holy Spirit. In other words... What prepared the stone to bring down giants is the same thing that's preparing you to bring down yours. Smooth stones have no rough edges. And some of you have been defeated by your giants for so long because you have never got rid of the rough edges. You have never stayed up under the Holy Spirit's influence long enough for the Holy Ghost to knock off all the rough edges. You still carry around a lot of the wounds. You still carry around a lot of the habits. You still carry around a lot of the mindsets, a lot of the thought patterns. You still carry around all these rough edges. You've never stayed up under the Holy Spirit long enough for Him to knock off the rough edges. But it's smooth stones. That brings down giants. And some of you have been battling and battling and battling, and I'm not an idiot. I stand here this morning knowing that some of you have lost enough times that you have gotten to the point where you just don't believe it's possible to win. But that devil is a lie. And I have preached for 59 minutes and 44 seconds this morning to convince you that there's still stones in the brook. There's still stones in your brook. You, as long as you can still do this, 
you can still overcome. As long as there's still breath in your lungs, there's still a chance. As long as you're still here and breathing, you have not gotten so far that you can't be victorious. There are still stones in the brook, but you might need a little help from a friend. So I'm going to ask everybody in this room, if you would, go ahead and stand. You might need a little help from a friend. You might need a little help from a friend. That's why God sent a present from heaven. Present from my Father. And it was not the Holy Spirit. It wasn't fire like it was for Elijah on Mount Carmel. It wasn't a chariot. He sent a person. He said, that's my help to you. That's my present to you. Do you realize your miracle? I don't even have time to get over in Matthew chapter 18. But do you know your miracle tied up in somebody else? But there's some stuff you just can't overcome by yourself. You need a little help from a friend. The right friend. Not just somebody you met at the bar last night. You need help that heaven sends. And you need to be able to tell the difference between the ones that heaven sends and was sent from another place. You need help from a friend. I'd like to be a friend to all of you, but to be honest with you, you would deplete all of my energy. And I wouldn't have anything left to give to the next person and to the next person and to the next. That's why when heaven sends a present, it's not just a preacher present. It's not just a bishop present. He sends presents in all shapes, forms, sizes, and ages. But you may need some help. So I'm looking this morning for people that need a miracle. And I don't know what kind of miracle you need. Maybe it's one of them I preached about. Maybe it's a financial miracle. Maybe it's a miracle of faith. Maybe it's a miracle of, of salvation. You're not saved. Maybe it's a miracle uh, of, of healing for your body. I, I don't know what kind of miracle you need, but I'm looking for people that need a miracle. And, and you are ready to bring down the giants that have been standing in front of you telling you that your miracle is not possible. You can't have a better marriage. You can't be financially prosperous. You can't uh, have a better prayer life. You can't be healed in your body or in your mind. If you need a miracle, I'm going to ask you to humble yourselves this morning. And I'm going to ask you to find one of the presents that heaven sent. And before you come to this altar, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to look them in the eye and say, Will you help me find my rock? I need a little help from a friend. I've prayed about it, and I haven't got my miracle. I've cried about it, and I haven't got my miracle. I, I, have, I have pleaded with God. I have posted on Facebook, and none of that has brought, brought my miracles. But this morning, I believe the water's troubled, and I believe I can get a miracle. But will you help me find my rock? If you're brave enough to do that, and you need a miracle, I want you to find one of the presents. It don't have to be the person beside of you. Maybe they're up in the balcony and you're on the floor. Maybe you're in the balcony and they're on the floor. But when you looked around this room, you found some presents that your father sent you. Some of my presents are in this room. Jessica Jessica's one of my presents. Uh, uh, the, the reeds are one of my presents. When I need something, I know, I know who I can call and say, pray for me. Pray for my son. Pray for my kids. Pray for my ministry. Pray for our church. I know who I can confide in because they're my presents. Heaven sent me. You need that. You need that. You can't do this by yourself. So I want you right now, 
If you need a miracle, I want you to find your present. I want you to look at mine and say, will you come help me find my rock and bring them with you up to this altar? And as you come, I want you to believe. Because when you call them out and say, will you help me find my rock? They're going to believe for you. But I want you to believe for you. Will you help me find my rock? Will you help me find my rock? We've got people coming from all over the room. You won't be the first one. And you won't be the last one. Will you help me find my rock this morning?